Okay, we're going to look at Psalm 33. Psalm 33. It's an interesting song, uh, psalm, and the thing that drew me to it initially, it caught my eye, was uh, this phrase about a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. And uh, so we're going to take a look at this song here. And why, why the psalmist is calling for God's people to sing a new song. And this psalm, beginning there, and well, actually there's a connection technically between Psalm 32, the last verse, and then Psalm 33, the first verse. And so if you read verse 11 of Psalm 32, you'll see it says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Shout for joy, verse 1 of 33, in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. So you see that it's the upright, those who are upright in heart, those who are godly and fear God-fearers who walk before the Lord loyally and faithfully. He's calling them to praise and give thanks unto, unto Yahweh for uh, several things that we're going to see it in, in uh, this psalm here in verse uh, Psalm 33. In Psalm 32. It's essentially the same thing, except it has to do with and deals with the personal experiences of the Psalms. Uh, in 33, it has to do with uh, other several things here that he mentions. One of those, well, we'll get to it. I'm going to get ahead of myself if I don't uh, be careful here. So this Psalm 33, it, it just flows and naturally follows uh, from Psalm 32. Um, it says here that praise is a beautiful thing or a befitting thing for the upright. To not praise the Lord would be out of character for us, for any who are walking with the Lord and fearing Him. And so these righteous that he's speaking of, you know, he's talk, when he talks about the upright in heart, He's speaking about those who are faithful, loyal followers of him. And that was not always the case in Israel. It didn't happen for everybody. They, they, the nation swiftly turned to idolatry, as you well know, following their uh, deliverance and their conquering of the uh, land of Canaan and taking it over nationally to rule over it and cleansing it and establishing, as it were, a foothold uh, in, that, in that country. And of course, they were in that land, and they were supposed to then uh, continue on to gain prominence there and let that be the starting point for their expansion to uh, spread God's message around the world and to see that God's kingdom would not just be in the land of Canaan, but it would expand 
to include the whole world. And because God is the creator, if he's made everything, this entire thing here, we, that's spinning around here in space, belongs to him. And he is the king. He rules and sovereignly over it. Now, he tells us here something interesting. I, he says, when you do this praise, when you do this singing, he says, include a variety of musical instruments. He says, give thanks to the Lord with the lyre, with, uh, make melody to him with a harp of ten strings, and sing to him a new song. Now, there are um, six references to a new song in, in the book of Psalms, and then in Isaiah, there's one reference to a new song. In all of these, most of these, I should say, but probably, I think, most commentators would say all of them a, a new song literally means a brand new song that is being written and sung and the purpose behind it is because of some event something that's happened whether it's in the life of an individual or whether it's an event in the nation of israel but there was to be a response on their part and singing a new song and all of them call for praise and and worship and making melody having and emanating from the heart because of what yahweh has done for them so he goes on to tell them then there sing this new song play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts and i think the king james says shout joyfully or something like that uh, I don't know that we always I don't know how loud that's supposed to be shout joyfully do we do we sing with loud shouts enough I'm not real sure I tried to imagine you know a, a, the uh, the group of singers that God had assigned and that Solomon had set up in the temple and when they were going to worship and they were you know they were all lined up singing their parts and whatever how loud was that <laughs> and and did we do we it seems to me like that what he's getting at here is don't stay silent about what god has done for you extol him praise him thank him verbally by communicating with others what god has done he moves on to say then what the reason for this praise is and it's the word of God he says in verse 4 the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness he loves righteousness and justice or equity and the earth is full of his steadfast love of the Lord that's a verse that has really struck me some time back when I was re reading. You know, there's a there's a, a word in Hebrew, it's, uh, and I can't ever get the part right, but it's chesed, <laughs> but it, it and it's it's a well-known word uh, that has to deal with and translated into King James, God's loving kindness. Newer translations call it His steadfast love. Uh, one translated it, his loyal love. 
It has to do with God's concern and care for everything that he has made and for the reason why he has put us here. And so his word, he says, everything emanates, evolves around his word, the word of the Lord. And there is a connection. I think there is a connection in what he is saying here about the word of the Lord and that physical manifestation of the word in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in John 1 is called the word. And back in Samuel, when he when it says he appeared to Samuel, he calls him the word of the Lord there. And it tells us then a verse or two later that he was standing there beside Samuel. So the, this, you know, he is the living manifestation of this living word. And so that makes the word important. This psalm is talking about that, all those things which revolve around what has God has done purely through speaking. As a matter of fact, you want to read that. He says there in verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. I'm anxiously awaiting to get my hands on a book called The Breath of God. <laughs> it's like you got it out there. Okay. I, I was hoping that. Uh, I've already read it, but I want my own copy. Uh, Brother Ed there wrote that book, and there's a, just some real treasures in there that will open God's word for you. And by the way, we've already had one Bible study with Brother Ed, and he is coming back, and I haven't ignored you. Uh, I, he called me, and I have not responded. But when, as I said, we've had so much company and been so busy every day, and I've been waiting for a, a peaceful, quiet time uh, when I can get back in touch with him. So it's by the word of the Lord. It's by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap and puts the deeps in storehouses. You know, it, it's, it's the, the breath of God. This living word, not only on these printed pages we have, but the living word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything revolves around the word. So then because of that, then, we're, we're to go on to give praise and thanksgiving to Yahweh. The psalmist is calling on us to do that because of what God has done. So we have this, this aspect of creation entering into the reason why we're called upon to sing this new song. And then he goes on in verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. So you see again, the word of the Lord, and uh, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Uh, by the breath of his mouth, he says there he's, in verse 9, he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded. It takes a voice to do that. He commanded, and it stood firm. All I, I mean, can you, the pictures, 
The psalmist here had no idea of the vastness of the universe as you and I have today. With all the telescopes they have to look out in space and see things that they hit. I mean, you're talking think about things over a trillion miles away, light years away, I mean, not miles, trillion light years away. And they're able to look out and see those things, the vastness of all that God just spoke into existence. And if you was to ask any scientist about how this all came to be, you know, they can, they can deduce by looking at all the physical aspects of the universe, they can deduce back, 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 till they get to one point. And then they have no explanation. How did it get here? I don't know. I mean, some of the most famous scientists will tell you, I don't know. Because they will not take that one more step back that encompasses faith. They just refuse to believe that God made it all, that he spoke it into existence and brought it forth. Now, I know that people like you and I who have taken that step of faith, we look at that and say, well, it's so obvious. It's so easy. And faith does make things easy. It makes it simple. We can believe that. Well, then he goes on. Not only does he speak about creation, and why we should praise God for what he has made. But notice then in that creation in verse 10, he talks about the counsel of man versus the counsel of the Lord or the advice, as it were. He tells us there that Yahweh has no regard whatsoever for the advice or the plans of the nations, that is, of the peoples. And this, 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 the, it's the counsel of God versus the counsel of man or the nations of the world, which is superior. Who holds the sovereign right over this earth? Well, the nations of the earth right now, if you see, just watch what's going on globally, and we have the, some privileges again that the psalmist doesn't have, never had, and that is communication with the entire world. We can get news, you know, so fast, uh, it just, it's mind-boggling. But you can see all the nations of the world, and they're, I call it jockeying, you know, maneuvering to gain control, to gain the upper hand and be the superior, dominant, nation of the world and some want to then not only just be the dominant nation but others are working hard to collectively bring those nations together where all of them will be the dominant nation of the world it'll be a, a one what we call a, a one global government but then we got this one problem Israel That's a problem for the nations of the world. Because as, you, as you've heard me say before, and I'm gonna say it again, uh, uh, a statement I picked up from Arlen 
several years ago. Uh, and it's really made me, I don't want to say change my thinking, but it helped me focus in, I guess is the way I would put it, that no nation on this earth has a right to call Yahweh their God, except for Israel. Now you can have other nations who follow God, who were reverent towards him, who held him up in high regard in principle and practiced uh, principles of government that honored him, but he was not their God. You know, you look at Great Britain, you look at the United States, and we have been truly blessed because we've had men of principle and men and women who were godly people who reverently honored God and his word. But we have no right to say that Yahweh is our God. He does not rule over the United States presently. Now he's sovereign over the earth, but every nation of the world is under the sway of various gods who are dominant over them and collectively who would like to bring all those nations together and um, how do I want to say it in rebellion against God want to rule the world but because of this little nation over there in the Near East. Amen. And this little bitty, on a map, this little bitty piece of land, it's going to stand. And it will not be defeated. And it does stand as a representation of what God is yet to do in reclaiming this earth for himself and the return of his son, Jesus, to rule the earth in opposition to them. This council of Lord, he says regarding the nations, he counts it as nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The council of the Lord, however, stands forever or remains to the age. And the plans of his heart to all generations, from one generation to the next, God's plans continue and you've heard me say this expression, God is not in charge, but he is in control. Now, I said it backwards, didn't I? God is not in control, but he is in charge. That is to say, because of man's free will, there are all kinds of things going on in opposition to what God is doing. But in spite of all of those things, God is working out his plan, and it will come to fruition. And it will ultimately happen. Matter of fact, well, he goes on to allude to that here in this psalm. Uh, when he says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage, or some translated as his inheritance. And I think that's important because if you'll turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 32, so turn back there for a moment, please. Deuteronomy 32. And we've been through this before, and it all goes back to the things that occurred with the initial creation 
back in Genesis chapters 1 through 11, and more particularly, the actual thing that happened at the Tower of Babel. So what happened there? Well, you remember the story, it's very simple. Sunday school kids know about this. The people rebelled against God. They wanted to collectively come together because they had one language and they wanted, wanted to preserve their unity. And they did so by in rebellion by building this tower to reach up to the heavens. And the whole idea behind that was to bring the gods down so they could meet with them on the mountaintop. And well, there's several other things to say about mountains and so on with regard to a kingdom. But the point of it all is here in Deuteronomy 32 and, and verse eight, it tells us there, when the most high gave to who? The nations, their inheritance. Well, back here in Psalm 33, it, it, it's talking about something else. It says here, blessed is the, the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his heritage. Well, who is that? Well, that's Israel. And if you look at verse 9, it says there, but the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is allotted heritage. Or again, some translate that as allotted inheritance. So what's the point of it all is, then? Is that God has assigned an inheritance to the nations of the world. He had, at the Tower of Babel, he said, pushed them away. Disinherited them. Gave them their own inheritance. But he still claimed Jacob. He said, that's, that's mine. These are my people. And so we come back then to Psalm 33. Happy. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, whose God is Yahweh, whose Elohim is Yahweh, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. So this is one more reason that he gives then why we should sing a new song, why we should come with multiple, multiple instruments all playing together in harmony and lifting our 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 hearts with shouts of praise and joy to Yahweh because of what he has done and what he is not only what he has done but what he is doing with the nations of the earth he tells us in verse 13 the Lord looks down from heaven he sees all the children of man Wait, if that doesn't speak of sovereignty, I don't know what else you would look for. His eye is upon us. You know, when the hymn writer said his, high, high is, his eye is upon the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. If God can watch over a little sparrow falling out of a nest, then surely he watches over us. And not only that, he says there, from whence he sits enthroned, and he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. 
He knows our comings, our goings. He knows every move we make. There is nothing hidden from his sight. But not only does he know every move, every deed, he knows every thought too. He knows what's going on in here besides what we are actively and physically doing. So God is sovereign over all of his creation. That's implied by one word there, throne. A throne that is in heaven. And he sits on that throne looking down over all of his creation. Matter of fact, let's see. Uh, I think we'll come to that. Um, I forgot. I'm, I'm a losing place. I better stay where I'm at. <laughs> okay, so the king, then he says in verse 15, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. And the war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Where's the psalmist leading us to now? The nations of the earth. The nations of the earth who want to build up their military might and strength. Even in, even in uh, the psalmist's day, the goal was to protect or to advance and gain control over the nations around them. And that's what he's telling us there. You know, we, we feel secure. We want to feel safe when we have a great army. I don't know about you, but when I, sometimes I have this little tinge in here, uh, this, this little thing that goes on when I'm reading in the news about some new new thing that our, our, our uh, uh, well, I want to say, the Pentagon, the military, whatever, has developed that gains superiority over all the rest of the nations. And I go, yeah, kind of like, you know, it's an F-22 with some kind of new surveillance technology or whatever. But you know what? He's telling us, forget it. There's no security or safety in that. There's no great thing about having the strongest army in the world and being superior. <laughs> that last part of verse 17, concerning the war horse, that could be that, I'm, I'm calling that the F-22. He says, by its great might, it cannot rescue. Ultimately, they're all going to fail. All the nations of the earth are going to go down in defeat. And the Lord Jesus is going to rise up victorious over all of his enemies, those who are out there now in active rebellion against him. Now he goes on to tell us then in verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is where? On those who fear him. Wait, his eye, his eye is on the children of men up in verse 13. He knows, generally speaking, all that's going on in the whole world. He's, he's knowledgeable of all these things. But wait, what about the intimacy of God's eye being upon those who fear him? That's, a, that's another thing altogether. That's something we need to hope in. That's something we need to rest in. And 
well, we're going to come to something else with regard to that. But the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. The one who is reverent. That's what the word means. Who reverently respects and, and honors the Lord God. Because they know that ultimately in him, he's going to rescue. He will be the one to defeat the enemies. He will be the one to rescue us and to bring deliverance. And, and uh, he tells us there as well in verse 18, he says, the eye of the Lord is on those who hope in his steadfast love. Now earlier we saw that he said the whole earth is full of his steadfast love. That was a part of that call to worship and praise God. Now he tells us here um, concerning this steadfast love. He says it's on those who hope in him. Why? On a very practical side. That he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine or in a time of hunger a time of great need God will keep his people and he watches over them that's a promise that the psalmist saw and knew for himself in his day and it's just just as valid for you and I today to claim such promises if if we are among those who are upright in heart walking righteously, practicing justice, and caring for God's creation the way he has called us to do. In verse 20, our soul waits for Yahweh. He is our help and our shield. Where the psalmist rises up here, as it were, in a crescendo concerning his joy and the happiness that he has in his own heart. Not just what he has called us to do, but what he's experiencing for himself. And he said, he is our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Waiting upon the Lord. Look over in um, Psalm, back just a couple pages probably, Psalm 25. When he says our soul waits for the Lord, you know, we, I think we know that there are many passages in the scriptures that talk about the blessing of the one who fears God and who waits on him. And the promises he gives to us for being patiently waiting on him because he doesn't work on our schedule he works on his own schedule in, in Psalm 25 and I forget verses 3 through 5 indeed he said none who wait for you shall be put to shame wow, I love that none who wait for you will be put to shame. Now we may be put to shame, embarrassed, humiliated, 
persecuted in this life now but when it comes to the day of judgment none will be put to shame if they wait on the Lord and fear him they shall be ashamed though who are wantonly treacherous make me to know your ways O Lord teach me your paths lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation for you I wait all the day long I mean, I, every day every day it's a call a demand for a lifetime of loyalty and waiting on the Lord and as the psalmist says back here in, in, in 33 hope in him let's look at another another psalm look at over to uh, well actually look down to verse 14 in this same psalm in 25 it says the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant what a promise to those who fear the Lord who are practicing this this waiting upon him look at uh, chapter 27 and verse 14 where David says there wait for the Lord be strong and let your heart take courage wait for the Lord our hearts in other words should not be filled with anxiety our hearts are not to be filled with trembling and fear over the things that are going on in this world we are to keep our eye focused on the future and what God has promised to those who love him and fear him, who walk reverently before him, who practice righteousness and justice. And justice just means fairness, equity, treating people the same, not showing favoritism if you want to look at the negative side. Look at chapter 37. And, excuse me, verse 7. Be still before the Lord, this is David again, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Don't worry about them. You have no control whatsoever over the devices of men and what they do. Our responsibility, he says, is to wait upon the Lord. In other words, walk in loyal faithfulness over a long period of time. And that long period of time is in reality a lifetime. That's why I, I you know, you can go back over and over to Hebrews chapter 11, and I think it's is it verse 6 or 13 that says, these all died how? in faith. That's where it has to end. If you die some other way, if your faith crashes on the way, it's not going to avail you anything. It's, it's appearing before the Lord with faith written across your forehead. And he will honor that. Verse 9. He says, for the evildoers 
shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Now, of course, he was speaking here of the, uh, uh, the land of Israel. But we find out later on, it's the whole earth. The meek shall inherit what? The earth. It's for us. Now, of course, I think in context there, you remember disciples. And you could translate earth there as it could also translate the land. The meek shall inherit the land. But when you look at the wider picture and what God has done for all of us in Christ, we have an inheritance waiting for us as well. If you look at um, verse, verse 34, I guess it is. Sometimes I can't read my own writing or typing either one. Verse 34, yeah, wait for the Lord and keep his way. And he will exalt you to what? Inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Now, when the wicked are cut off and removed, you know, that, that leaves not just the land in Israel, but the whole earth. And that's why I think that we're, it's fair for us to say, we, the meek shall inherit the earth, just the way they've translated it. Look over one more, Psalm 62, and verse 5. Psalm 62 and verse 5. The psalmist here says, and that's David, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Well, if you don't get a picture of, of somebody who is a, a type and a supreme example for us as to what we should do in this whole matter of waiting upon the Lord, it would be David. So why should we wait on the Lord? What is the whole purpose behind that all? Well, the reason is because there's coming a day. There is coming a day when we will sing a new song. If you look over in Revelation chapter 5, in the book of Revelation in chapter 5, and verses 8 and 9, <coughs> excuse me. Beginning in verse 8, it says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Well, who are the saints? Well, that's the, the godly ones, the holy ones, the ones who lived in fear, the fear of the Lord, those who walked righteously, those who obeyed the Lord. And he says, and they sang a new song, say, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall do what? Reign on the earth. That is what awaits the one who hopes in him. That's why 
We ought to reverently sing, shout for joy, and give thanks and praise unto Yahweh for not only not only not only just, only just but because of his wisdom, because of his counsel, because of his power over the nations of the earth, even though they built up their great armies, he will slay them all, and he will fulfill every promise he's given to us. And that promise here is, they shall reign on the earth. Now that's worth waiting on. That's worth trusting in what God has promised us. And so we should take it to heart and believe it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you once again for the sureness, the steadfastness of your word and your love. We pray that you would let us take these things to heart and know that everything you've given us in your word in this book is directed toward those who are faithful. Those who look to you in faith. Those who wait upon you and believe and hope in Yahweh. And it's in his name we pray.